Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shay Pate. Now, today is supposed to be Fantastic Fellas Friday, but I'm going to switch it up. But before I even get into that, I want to apologize for Wednesday's episode. I have never missed a day to do an episode, and Wednesday actually was going to be called What the What Wednesday, because so much was going on on Wednesday, and just something came up that I just could not, I, I couldn't even, everything that wanted to happen in all aspects of my life, work, personal, home, whatever, all happened on Wednesday, so it, I apologize for those who regularly like to listen Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, but the what, the what? turned into the Federal F-Up Friday. So that's what today is going to be. Because the federal government, I'm not understanding what is going on. It's like breaking news, breaking news. Because as you know, one of the top stories we're talking about is the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill and President Biden's Build Back Better whole agenda. Now, I'm just so sick of this. This is crazy because a lot of the things that or in both bills, everybody wants. Now, it's very clear. We don't need no rocket scientists to tell us that the Republicans, as I've always been saying, especially over the last five years, they don't care how idiotic things are, how wrong, illegal, whatever. They stick together and they vote together. Now, unfortunately, the Democrats seem to have these internal wars. And I just asked the Democrats, can y'all for once come to some type of agreement to have something passed. Now, we know we got two Democrats who they just might as well go on and switch on over, Joe and Kristen, to be Republicans because y'all have done everything to hinder everything President Biden's trying to do. And I'm not trying to be just Democratic speaking, even though I'm a registered Democrat. I always like to make it very clear I vote Republican and independent as well and have and will in the future. I'm just telling you my point of view, which is my opinion. It's so much going on. You know, the fact that the president was racing to avoid a government shutdown at midnight. Really? So he signed a spending bill Thursday, yesterday night, last night, that extends the federal funding through early December and provides emergency aid to support both the resettlement of Afghan refugees and disaster recovery efforts across the country. Now, this is so sad because everybody is fighting about stuff that everybody wants, but it's a power thing and it's a control thing. And then you talk about, you know, they even went to a couple of times and you're going to hear, I got so many interviews that happened between Wednesday and Thursday leading up to the vote. I want you guys, because that was going to be my what the what Wednesday, but I'm, it's all related. So we're going to do the federal F up Friday because the federal government is effing up people's lives. And it's so ridiculous. And then, you know, I saw a couple. I'm just going to put them on blast. Kristen, I ain't seen her say much, but Joe Manchin, they finally got to him. And he was saying that he'll support a $1.5 trillion social safety net bill, $2 trillion less than what Biden's sweeping plan is. So instead of $3.5 trillion, he want to do 1.5, not even half, you know, and he, you know, he was saying 
that he just couldn't support it. And that's just unfortunate because there's so much in these bills. So what I decided to do is go to um, some audio where they were talking about this on Wednesday before the vote. There's so much going on. I'm going to play different um, audio from CBS News with Nora O'Donnell and um, a couple interviews. Of the interview with um, AOC, she was on Rachel. And actually, that's why I wanted to do the What the What Wednesday. But I want, I'm going to end her. Well, with AOC, let me tell you something. I don't, well, never mind. Let me just say this. When she explained why the progressive caucus in the Democratic Party are not voting to do the bipartisan bill without including the $3.5 trillion bill, the re- you know, you got an infrastructure bill and you got a, a reconciliation bill. And she kept saying that the bill should be linked together or no bill. And I agree with her when she broke it down and I started reading and I'm going to read what's in both bills, but the way she broke it down on MSNBC on Rachel Meadows show on Wednesday, I hope that the everyday person who doesn't know that much about laws, regulations, politics will understand what's really at risk. And we might have to do some things and call our, uh, our representatives and talk to them about passing these bills. And if Joe and Christian want to go on and switch over to the Republican party, just do that. We're going to lose the majority anyway, if y'all don't vote. So just do that. So we can have somebody run up against you and take your seats. I mean, this is getting past ridiculous. And then last night it was saying, um, it was 1150 actually when I was doing some research And it said the House Speaker's abandonment of her pledge to hold the vote on Thursday extends the showdown between Democrats, moderates, and liberals over the bill and a separate social policy measure. You know, I really, really don't like that they're fighting and it's so public. It's like giving ammunition to the Republicans. So let me read what's in the $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill. Now, they say it's a 2,702 page bipartisan bill containing just $550 billion in new spending. The $1.2 trillion figure comes from from including additional funding normally allocated each year for highways and other infrastructure projects. The new spending consists of $110 billion for roads and bridges. In addition to construction and repair, the funding also helps pay for transportation research at universities, funding for Puerto Rico's highways. Thank God, because they, I, you know, I mentioned recently how America keep acting like Puerto Rico wasn't affected by the hurricane. So I'm glad to hear that. See, listen to this and congestion relief in American cities. $66 billion goes for, rail- for railroads. Funding includes upgrades and maintenance of America's passenger rail system and freight rail safety, but nothing for high-speed rail. So we're going to stay kind of in the, the, the old age zone while the other countries are speeding up. I'm sure probably in Asia they got. And I don't know, I don't know if, it's, if it's in Europe or not. I can't remember. I've been to Europe several times, but I can't remember. They got the freight rail uh, the freight rail safety, uh, I mean, the high-speed rails. But, 
you know, $65 billion for the power grid. The bill would fund updates to power lines and cables, as well as provide money to prevent hacking of the power grids. Clean energy funding is also included. $65 billion for broadband includes funding to expand broadband in rural areas and in low-income communities. Approximately $14 billion of the total would help reduce inter- excuse me, internet bills for low-income citizens. $55 billion for water infrastructure. This funding includes $15 billion for lead pipe replacement. I'm hoping Michigan has already resolved theirs personally. If not, they should be the first on the list. $10 billion for chemical cleanup and money to provide clean drinking water in tribal communities. I'm glad to hear that. $47 billion for cybersecurity and climate change. The Resilience Fund will protect infrastructure for cybersecurity attacks and address flooding, wildfires, coastal erosion, and droughts, along with other extreme weather events. $39 billion for public transportation. Funding here provides for upgrades to public transit systems nationwide. The allocation also includes money to create new bus routes and help make public transit more accessible to seniors and disabled Americans. $25 billion for airports. The allocation provides funding for major upgrades and expansions at United States airports. Air traffic controller towers and systems would receive $5 billion of the total for upgrades. $21 billion for the environment. These monies would be used to clean up Superfund and Brownfield sites, abandoned mines, and old oil and gas wells. $17 billion for ports. Half of the funds in this category would go to the Army Corps of Engineers for Port Infrastructure. Additional funds would go to the Coast Guard, ferry term- terminals, and reduction of truck emissions at ports. $11 billion for safety. Appropriations here are to address highway, pedestrian pipelines, and other safety areas with highway safety getting the bulk of the funding. $8 billion for Western water infrastructure. Ongoing drought conditions in the western half of the country will be addressed through investments in water treatment, storage, and reuses, excuse me, and reuse facilities. $7.5 billion for electric vehicle charging stations. The Biden administration asked for this funding to build significantly more charging stations for electric vehicles across the nation. Now, that's a good point right there because they're pushing electric cars big time. And the charging stations is going to be very essential, just like a parking lot is right now for the gas cars. $7.5 billion for electric school buses. See, I just mentioned electric vehicles. Now they're talking about school buses. They're saying with an emphasis on bus fleet replacement in low-income, rural, and tribal communities. This funding is expected to allow those communities to convert to zero emission buses. Now that sounds like a lot and you might want to rewind and go back to listen to what I'm saying. But the fact is, this is very, very important things that need to be done. However, we got the $3.5 trillion Democratic proposal that covers a way more than this. 
And all the Republicans and independent voters that are listening, I want you to listen very clearly. Everybody in West Virginia, tell Joe Manchin to reread this. Listen clearly. Arizona Christian Cinnamon, girl, come on. Y'all need to really listen to what these two are not wanting to support. Now, because I was not able to be um, effective on this past Wednesday, I'm going to extend this episode so I can kind of get all this information out. So we're going to double the time. Instead of 30 minutes Wednesday and 30 minutes today, I'm going to do a whole hour. And I want you guys, and I know it sounds like it's just talk and it's words and it's a lot, but it's affecting every single person listening to this episode in one way or another. Listen to the categories that I'm talking about in the money. They said this will be the first time they will get an opportunity to address things that will probably never be addressed again, especially if Republicans take over the House, the Senate, and the White House, or get majority of either of the houses. So I want you guys, you know, I hate when politics is affecting our everyday lives, but as an um as an advocate, you have to be publicly acknowledging the wrongs of things. And so not passing these bills is definitely the wrongs. So you guys need to start talking, writing, emailing, Twitter, whatever, your legislatures, and let them know that you support this if you do. Now, I'm not saying everyone listening does. But if you don't, I want you to closely listen to what is being asked. These are everyday people items, not the rich, not just the poor, low income. <coughs> Excuse me. Everybody. Now, let me tell you what's in the $3.5 trillion Democratic proposal. One point, excuse me, one, $135 billion for the Committee of Agricultural Nutrition and Forestry. Funding to be used to address forest fires, and we know there's been a lot of them, reduce carbon emissions, and address drought concerns. This is a big deal for West Coast people, I'm sure. $332 billion for the Banking Committee, including investment in public housing, the Housing Trust Fund, Housing Affordability, and Equity and Community Land Trust. We all have to live somewhere with the divisiveness of our country. We need people to feel safe when they're trying to live and, and look for housing, but we don't always have a lot of money to live in the finer communities, but we can create them. Uh, $198 billion for the Energy and Natural Resource Committee. This would develop clean energy. $67 billion for the Environmental and Public Works Committee. These monies would fund low-income solar and other climate-friendly technologies. See, we have to, if you go to Asia, I don't, I, I travel a lot. I've been fortunate to go to 20 countries. And when I was in Hong Kong, I was really shocked. And this is, this is literally, I think, two or three years after they said that uh, China gave up their government authority over them. There was a big deal about all that while we were over there. And I was over there for two weeks, so I tried to get as much cultural. I like to travel to different countries to get the culture and the globalization of it. And, you know, they seem to have been, and this is years ago, they seem to have been really into the climate change things and the cleaning and stuff. Cause I was telling somebody where, uh, we were staying, it was kind of like the Rodale, Beverly Hills Rodale Drive of Hong Kong. 
And um, it was really interesting when we were walking down the street that they were literally mopping the streets. I mean, you you get big fines for littering, and it it was crazy. Uh, we were on a bus, and me and my friend, she uh she we were drinking something, and everybody was staring at us, waiting to see if we were going to litter. And there was big signs about fines for littering, and I was like, "Why?" Wow. It was the cleanest. <laughs> it was the cleanest place I had ever seen. But my point is, America is trying to be the number one of all time, and we seem to have China as our biggest rivalry. But technology-wise, it seems like they're blowing us out of the water. So we have to think about environmental things. You know, they're talking about climate-friendly technology under the Environment and Public Works Committee. So, you know, the, we these are very important things to everybody because just like the pandemic, if one thing goes wrong in a certain category, especially something like technology in one country, and if you're one of the superpowers, more or less us in China, Russia used to be and want to be, but mainly United States and China, we have to just we have to compete. We got the skills, I think, for people to do these types of jobs and the, the, the education and technology waiting um, creators, I guess is what I should say. So we need to invest in this before it's too late. But let me finish reading the proposal. $1.8 trillion for the Finance Committee. This part of the bill is for investments in working families, the elderly, and the environment. It includes a tax cut. Now, check that out. A tax cut for Americans making less than $400,000 a year. Wow. That is almost most of the Americans because I don't know too many people to make over four hundred. I mean, I do. I work with some, but I'm saying average friends in person that makes under... Uh, I mean, over $400,000 a year. And this is going to lower the price of prescription drugs and ensuring the wealthy and large corporations pay their fair share of taxes. Okay, you got $726 billion for Health, Labor, Education, and Pensions Committee. This addresses universal pre-K for three- and four-year-olds, child care for working families, tuition-free community college, funding for historically black colleges and universities, and an expansion of the Pell Grant for higher education. Let me tell you something as a former college student at all times. All these things are very, 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 very important. I was a recipient of almost everything I just named. And I really do know a lot of black families do not have the money to put your kids through college. That Pell Grant is a good thing. I know in Georgia, I was very surprised when I first moved to Georgia, they had so many um, grants and all that that I didn't know anything about. It was pretty much set up that if you had a B average in high school, you could go to any state university here in Georgia for free. Now, when I heard that, by the time I was told that I had already went to college, but I wanted to ex expand my education. And by the time I heard that, it was like the last maybe year or two of it. And I did benefit from it, but a lot of my friends didn't. And I was very surprised because I'm saying to myself, if you can't afford college and you can work hard and study and get a B average and go to college for free, 
especially in Georgia, they got some pretty cool colleges here, not just Morehouse, Spelman and Clark or Georgia Tech or UGA. They got other colleges here, too. And I was like, for free? How? Why? Everybody here should have a degree. <laughs> That's just my opinion. I, I just didn't get that because we had that in Pittsburgh. Man, we'd be everywhere. But anyway, that's for $726 billion. $37 billion for the HSGAC committee. I have no idea what that is. I'm going to have to uh, tell you guys to look that up if you're interested. I always like to encourage y'all to do your own research. It said this would electrify the federal, uh, okay, federal vehicle fleet electrify and rehab federal buildings, improve cybersecurity infrastructure, reinforce border management, invest in green materials, procurement, and invest in resilience. $107 billion for the Judiciary Committee. These funds address establishing lawful permanent status of qualified immigrants. Mm, that's interesting. $20.5 billion for the Indian Affairs Committee. This addresses Native American health programs and facilities, education programs and facilities, housing programs, energy programs, resilience and climate programs, BIA programs and facilities, Native language programs, and the Native Civilian Climate Court. Now, I want to say to the Native American community, please, Pay attention to this. This is $20.5 billion that they're talking about investing in your communities. I really, really want you guys to see how every single portion of this bill affects someone that's listening, someone in America. I mean, everyone, one of these things I'm reading is affecting someone. And this is the $3.5 trillion bill that they're trying to get pass so that everybody can benefit, not just a portion with the infrastructure bill for more than less than half the amount. Okay, you got the $25 billion for the Small Business Committee. This provides for small business access to credit investment and markets. And as you know, especially during the pandemic, SBA was giving out all kinds of loans. And unfortunately, millionaires and billionaires was getting them too. And the smaller people who really were like mom and pop organizations or one proprietor, they weren't getting anything. I'm just hoping that this $25 billion will finally get to the people that deserve it, the people who have started new businesses and lost them. And this is what I'm saying, how something in this bill is affecting everybody. And finally, the $83 billion for the Commerce Committee. This goes to investments in technology, transportation, research, manufacturing, and economic development. It provides funding for coastal resiliency, healthy oceans investment, including the National Oceans and Coastal Security Fund and the National Science Foundation Research and T Technology Directorate. Now, I know that was a lot, so I'm not going to talk no more um, about what's in the bills. What I do want to do is play these clips that I mentioned were discussed on Wednesday and Thursday, and one's from the North excuse me, 
uh, Nora O'Donnell uh, interviews on CBS News. And the other one was, I watched it actually live on Rachel Maddow on Wednesday with AOC. And she is breaking down why the Progressive Caucus feel that both of the bills should be linked. It should be the $3.5 trillion excuse me, $3.5 trillion bill and the $1.5 trillion bill together, not just the bipartisan one that the Republicans are willing to vote on. It should be all or nothing. And when she broke it down, and me reading just now the different bills, I 100% agree with her. And I want you guys, don't look at her as a Democrat. Look at her as a person breaking it down so that you can be more objective to what she's saying. Because I'm going to tell you something. What she's saying makes a lot of sense to me. So check out these two interviews. I'm just going to play them back to back. Us on this busy Thursday here in the nation's capital. But just hours before the deadline, Congress voted to avoid a shutdown. And while that's good news, the crisis for the Democratic Party remains. That's because President Biden's domestic agenda is on the line. Progressives in the House say they won't vote for the bipartisan infrastructure plan to spend a trillion dollars to fix our nation's roads, rails, and bridges, unless a much bigger social safety net bill is passed at the same time. Now, that $3.5 trillion bill includes programs like child care, universal pre-K, and other initiatives. There is a joke here in Washington that creating legislation is like making sausage. And tonight, the White House press secretary points out it's messy. Right now, there's plenty of talk and no hint of a compromise. We're going to break down all the moving parts with our team, starting with CBS's Nicole Killian, who leads us off from the Capitol. Good evening, Nicole. Good evening, Nora. And avoiding the government shutdown was the least of lawmakers' worries today, as they now deal with another major deadline to try to deliver on one of President Biden's key priorities. The motion is adopted. On the brink of a possible shutdown, the House and Senate passed a bill to keep the government open through December 3rd, sparing thousands of federal workers from being furloughed. The last thing the American people need is for the government to grind to a halt. Instead, intransigence over infrastructure threatened to stall President Biden's agenda. The way the president sees it is that uh, this is an ongoing discussion, an ongoing negotiation. House Democrats spent the better part of the day trying to round up votes to make good on a $1.2 trillion bipartisan bill to pay for shovel-ready projects to repair roads, rails, and bridges. I plan on moving forward in a positive way, and everybody has to think that this is the path we're on. Progressives maintain their opposition to the measure until a larger social spending package that encompasses everything from climate to child care can get done in both chambers. We are ready to do whatever we can to deliver the entirety of the president's agenda, but they want to keep the price jack at $3.5 trillion. Butting heads with moderate senators like Arizona's Kirsten Cinema and West Virginia's Joe Manchin, who says he won't go above 1.5. A number he says he's floated to the president and Democratic leaders. What do you say to people who feel you and Senator Cinema are holding this whole thing up? We only have 50 votes. Basically, take whatever we don't aren't able to come to agreement with today and take that on the campaign trail next year. If the senator thinks electing more, Democrats is how you get it done, uh, then that is something he should state to the president because this is the president's agenda. 
This evening, Democratic aides are huddled with White House advisors to try to craft a compromise that will satisfy all sides. And if that happens, that could potentially pave the way for a vote on that smaller infrastructure package tonight. Nora? Nicole Killian, thank you. I want to bring in CBS's Major Garrett. And so, Major, people want to know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, on this issue, President's big agenda, it's Democrats in his own party that are foiling things. Right. And the big picture is huge agenda, small majorities for the Democrats. Razor thin in the House, 50-50 in the Senate, which means Democrats have to lock arms. Defections mean defeat. Progressives in the House have the power to kill the infrastructure bill. And moderate Democrats in the Senate, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, have the power to kill the Build Back Better agenda. House Democratic leaders and Senate Democratic leaders are like, can't we skip all that part? Can't we just skip the near-death experience, huddle together, and build something out that is close to what the president has proposed and satisfies everyone? That's the big problem, Nora. You can't satisfy all Democrats right now. There's still quarrels. So there's a lot. This would be historic anyway. You know, fixing roads and bridges and rails and high-speed Internet, over a trillion dollars. It's amazing as Republicans and Democrats agree on that. So why isn't President Biden out there lobbying on this other package, his own party? So you have two pieces of legislation, infrastructure and build back better, Nora. Both are more popular in the polls than President Biden currently is. He's about 43. They're both, both about 60. So he needs them to pass to lift himself up. Why? Because he's taking a hit on Afghanistan, inflation, border crisis, pandemic. So he's sort of letting the legislative process build out, deferring to Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, Chuck Schumer, the Majority Leader in the Senate, to work it out, fearing that if he gets too involved, He'll pull these things down in popularity, not enhance them. He needs them to lift him up. So he and the White House are quietly trying to urge them to compromise, but not using the big guns of the bully pulpit of the White House, because they're not sure it would work. All right, let's see how it turns out. Major Garrett, thank you. Now, here's the interview that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had on Rachel Maddow's show on Wednesday. And Rachel's asking her, why do we have to link both of the bills for the progressive to support the bipartisan bill and listen to how AOC breaks it down. And like I said, whether you love her or not, what she's saying, if you really listen to her, it makes sense because everything she's talking about is affecting somebody. Check out what she tells Rachel. Why is there an effort to link them both and make sure that the big bill doesn't get delayed indefinitely after the small bill passes? Yeah, so I am, I completely agree with you that a lot of this, this discussion about process and tit for tat just is very difficult to follow and doesn't really cover the heart of this conversation, which is that we have two bills at present, one which covers, which underfunds most priorities across the board. So there are very few priorities that even get the full funding that they even need. And then there is the larger, what is known as the budget bill, reconciliation bill. That has the stuff that you're going to feel in your everyday life. Universal pre-K. Um, we're talking about college, you know, community colleges. We're talking about expansion of Medicare. And we're, we're debating including vision and dental uh, in, in Medicare conversations about lowering the age of it, robust climate action, renewable energy, all of that stuff that you're going to feel in your everyday life is in what is known as the Build Back Better Act, aka the Reconciliation Bill. Now, when we were discussing uh, the scope of this bill way earlier in the year, this is the original infrastructure bill. And we have a vast majority of Democrats, about 96%, 
that are in agreement of the entire agenda. Now, a very small handful of Democrats, about 4% of the party, are trying to essentially split these two priorities up. Um, you know, and I personally don't think it's an accident that the ones that a lot of lobbyists love are in the much smaller underfunded bill uh, that don't make prescription drugs easier to buy and more affordable, et cetera. And what they want to do is split them apart, force a vote on the first one. And because we have such narrow margins in the Senate and the House, you know, the read that we have is that they'll just dump the second one, leave the other one out to dry and just never actually vote on it. And so the way that we bring our two parts of the caucus together is by saying, you know what? My bill is bound up in your bill and your bill is bound up in my bill. So do I love this very, you know, what I would argue a conservative underfunded bill? No, but I will vote for it if we pursue them both together. But what we should not uh, take is this approach, which is what people are trying to do by forcing a vote tomorrow on an under-considered, under-amended bill by itself by saying, we want to force this vote right now, and it's either my way or the highway. You don't work together. I want your vote, but I will give you nothing for it. Your community will not benefit from this as much as my, mine will. It, we don't have to pursue that route. We can, instead of saying it's either mine or yours, we can say both of us can succeed together. And that is the case that the Progressive Caucus is making. But if we vote for this bill tomorrow, Rachel, and I want to be very clear about this, if we vote for this underfunded, too small infrastructure bill alone, instead of voting for it with the rest of the president's agenda, if we vote for it alone, it could make our climate crisis worse, and it risks being the only or the last substantive piece of legislation that we will pass. I do not believe we do not have the assurances necessary to, to believe in good faith that reconciliation will pass if infrastructure passes tomorrow, because it gives that small, narrow margin of Democrats um, that have, you know, really been making this process quite difficult. You know, there was a, there was an overall agreement between the process uh, two months ago, and then there was a reneging of that. And so if we can just stick to our original plan, stick to the promises we've made each other, we can proceed in good faith and transform the lives of millions of, Ameri millions of Americans for the better. Do you feel optimistic that it'll happen? I do feel optimistic because the Progressive Caucus, and not just the Progressive Caucus, but we are now seeing a lot more Democrats, even not part of the Progressive Caucus, uh, join and say, you know what, childcare, healthcare, the climate crisis, this is too important to shelve. It's too important to shelve. And I also want to uh, really thank people at home for supporting House Democrats who do not accept corporate PAC and lobbyist money. And those sorts of Democrats are not just progressive. They're not just conservative. They really transcend a lot of party ideology, but they're a recent phenomenon and that have really been surging since 2016 and 2018. And I really do believe that that is what is changing the dynamic that we're seeing in Washington today, where that stranglehold that lobbyists have traditionally have had over Washington, that still very much do in a lot of sectors, is starting to loosen because everyday American voters and everyday people at home are starting to support members of Congress 
and send members to Congress uh, that don't just do what lobbyists tell them to do, but say, we're going to make tough decisions. This is a moment of heartburn, but I want to be clear that not voting for this tomorrow is not a permanent um, is not a permanent decision. We can always reconsider it when the time is right and when these tensions have been um, have been assuaged. And I do believe that they will be assuaged. Well, as you know, the bill wasn't passed after all. Speaker Pelosi delayed the vote. They are going to try today. That's Friday for the second time to vote on some type of agreeable infrastructure bill, bipartisan obviously is the goal. But, you know, it's so funny because um, it really shouldn't take all this to end up where we need to be. And it was interesting because I didn't want to forget to talk about, um, oh, wait, let me back up. I made a mistake and said the bipartisan bill was $1.5 trillion and it's only $1.2 trillion. So I need to make that correction. But I didn't want to um, overlook how they did um, a little bit of uh, talk about the bill being passed for President Biden to keep the government open. So I'm going to um, let you just hear that real quick. Good evening, and thank you for joining us on this busy Thursday here in the nation's capital. With just hours before the deadline, Congress voted to avoid a shutdown. And while that's good news, the crisis for the Democratic Party remains. That's because President Biden's domestic agenda is on the line. Bill is passed. On the Hill today, a bipartisan group of senators voting to fund the government through early December, a vote that came just hours before the deadline. The Democratic majority has begun to realize that the way forward on basic governing duties matches the roadmap that Republicans have been laying out for months. With one hurdle now out of the way, the focus now shifts to President Biden's ambitious domestic agenda. Speaker Nancy Pelosi still promising a vote today on the Senate's bipartisan infrastructure package to rebuild the nation's roads, bridges, and broadband internet. We are proceeding in a very positive way to bring up the bill. But progressive House Democrats are vowing to defeat the $1 trillion package unless moderate Democrats in the Senate also agree to a larger $3.5 trillion spending bill that combats climate change, provides universal pre-K and child care, and lowers the cost of prescription drugs. The group blaming Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin for putting both bills at risk. Today, Senator Manchin finally publicly revealing some of his demands. I thought he'd share with other people with him that maybe had not been. But now, the 1.5 was always done from, from my heart to basically what we could do and not jeopardize, not jeopardize our economy. House Democrats responding that Manchin's offer still wasn't enough for them to vote for the infrastructure bill, but they are ready to negotiate. We are not in the business. Right, of wasting this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. See why I call this federal F up? I don't want to curse Friday because this is a hot mess. And I'm not going to take this to a whole hour like I thought I would because I was able to get all the um, details in under 40 minutes. So I am going to end this episode and we will be back on Monday, Wednesday and Friday of next week. I thank you for your patience and I appreciate you as listeners and definitely follow us, follow us on all the, all the apps. And one of the things I have not mentioned, and it's not in my closeout is that I just finally opened up a Instagram page. We are at 
at Advocacy Ladies, just like we are on Twitter, but on Twitter is, of course, capital A is in Advocacy and capital L is in Ladies, and you will hear that in my closeout. But I just wanted to say I appreciate you. I apologize for Wednesday, but so much was going on, and I'm hoping that you guys pay attention to what the government is voting for because the federal government is really effed up right now. So I want you guys to just uh, pay attention to what they're voting for and pay attention to the people that you think are in your best interest because everybody's not doing things because it's for the people. A lot of things are being done just because of party, uh, ain't no bipartisanship. And, you know, we still got this, this coronavirus out here. So you guys be careful. It's October 1st. It's a new month. We're going into the, we're already in the fall season. We'll be going into the holiday season. And I just want you guys to be safe. Okay. Well, guys, this will end this episode, and I hope that the information that you received is inspiring, uplifting, and informative. As I always say, follow us on Twitter at Advocacy Ladies. That's capital A as in Advocacy, capital L as in Ladies. And you can follow us on many of the podcast apps. We are on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, Alexa TuneIn, and of course, my hosting podcast company, Podbean. If you have any questions or subjects you want us to look into, give us a call. We're at 404-855-7723. Or you can send us an email at podcasthostshaypate19 at gmail.com. And you know my favorite question is, what do you have to say? Thank you for listening.